Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want to check out the company I run and the website we have, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. I just got one co-host today, Brad Hoppy from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to check out everything Brad's got to offer, visit MuskieMayhemTackle.com. Our guest today is going to be Madison Muskie Guide Jeff Hansen. And quite honestly, Brad, I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about. We didn't have an outline with this one yet. So, you know, last week Luke came in really prepared, had a whole bunch of bullet points for us to go talk over. And we're a little bit on the rough side on this one this week because uh, you and I haven't hardly talked. We've been busy. I know. Let's just uh, talk a little bit about that. So this past weekend was the virtual, you know, muskie show, Minnesota muskie show. Man, I can't thank everybody enough for supporting small business. Brad, sounds like you guys had a good weekend as well. Yeah, we did for sure. You know, it it's one of those deals where you're you're always uncertain, right? And in today's times, uh, who knows what's going to happen? But uh, with stores closed and what have you, we were super excited and super happy to see people supporting us and and buying our product. That's for sure. So we've been putting our nose to the grindstone and trying to get those orders out as quick as possible, and we're going to take it from there. Right. That's the same way it was for us. So for anybody that cares, today is Monday, March 30th. In fact, it's actually 6 o'clock at night. Fortunately, I can still see daylight and sunlight. So we got to get this podcast out you know, on Wednesday, but I know that we're a little under the gun on this podcast just because of, like you said, Brad, we're trying to get those orders out. I mean, we stayed up and I was in the shop until I think it was like 1230 this morning, maybe one o'clock this morning. I can't remember. Everything's kind of a blur. And then I had to get back up to wire things because, I don't know, allegedly residential construction in Wisconsin is still considered essential, even though I don't feel that it is. But fortunately, uh, I don't come across anybody on a job site. The one, the jobs I work on, there's nobody there. So there's really no, um, I don't know how to say it, concern, you know, no real worry of infection. So I would say that's good. But it's also, um, you know, taking some time away from me getting some other TRO-related stuff done. So it's good to be busy. I don't want to sound like we're complaining because, man, we'll take it because the alternative right now could be a lot worse. Hands down, Jeff. It can always be worse, that's for sure. But uh, we're just going to keep grinding and doing our thing, and, and hopefully, you know, we, we just work our way through this whole thing. So, Brad, let's talk a little bit about YouTube before we get into some stuff with Jeff. I've been seeing some stuff going on on YouTube for you guys. I know that anybody that pays attention to TRO YouTube, yesterday was Sunday, and we finally put out a new video. In my opinion, it's a decent video from the you know standpoint that we catch a few muskies as far as editing goes I'll, I'll tell you i'm not the best editor there's lots of editors out there that put put together youtube stuff that are way better than we are but anybody that cares to check it out check out our youtube channel and if you hit subscribe that'd be awesome you know again i mean it comes back to we just can't thank everybody enough for the support that they give us brad why don't you talk a little bit about what you guys have going on yeah, well, what we've been doing is every Thursday we've been releasing a segment from the old DVDs that I did years ago. We went through Big Blades, Big Muskies. We started uh, Perfect Timing last week. And so this coming Thursday, I guess a day after everybody downloads this episode of the podcast, will be uh, the number two segment of Perfect Timing. And then on top of that, the last two weeks, we've also put out uh, a couple different things. Um, 
you can check them out on YouTube, and we're going to continue to keep throwing different things out there periodically. I'm not going to tell you that there's a true schedule by any means, but the last one was done by Andy Hamm and Timmy Peterson, and it was a uh, five-minute, <laughs> basically five minutes of, of figure-eighting to make this fish bite. Pretty pretty crazy deal, but that is in a new segment that we put together for the YouTube channel, and that would be our pro staffers uh, providing content. So that was kind of a neat one, too. I got to tell you, I haven't watched it yet, but it's on my list of things to do as soon as I catch up. You know, you know what it is. Always stuff to do, always things to do. I'm just happy that we finally were able to edit something and put something out, so I'm, I'm happy for that. Hopefully we'll have something out again pretty, pretty soon. So I'm going to circle back to one thing that I want to mention. You had mentioned, uh, you know, the day after people download this, you guys are going to have your YouTube video. That's one thing I want to say to everybody that listens to the podcast. We missed out on going to Minnesota to talk to, you know, I would say fans of the podcast. But the, the support that we received recently on the podcast has been unbelievable. Last week, episode with Luke Ronestrand, I don't want to say it's the episode, but that day we always count. You can figure out how many downloads we had per day, even although Luke's episode is doing really well also. We set a download record for most downloads in a day for us, which is great. I mean, for for a little while, you know, we had seen in November and December a little bit of a downturn, and we were like, hmm, is that seasonal or do we suck? And turns out that it's kind of seasonal. I guess we don't suck that bad, huh, Brad? Well, let's hope not, Jeff. But, you know, you, you never really know, and, and there's not really the true measurements other than downloads for us to to really know what people are thinking out there other than maybe a couple uh, text messages or emails, you know, telling us what they're thinking of the podcast. You know, we want to do a good job and we appreciate the listeners. That's for sure. Absolutely. So with that being said, I don't know, Brad, you got anything else to add to this episode other than I guess maybe one thing we should cover is uh, if you do like the podcast and you listen on iTunes or you listen on whatever uh, Apple podcasts, if you could leave us a rating and a review, that'd be great. We really appreciate that. You know, if you're looking for other places to find the podcast, check out iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. I think that covers podcast stuff. There's a few other places. Overcast would be another one. But anyways, Brad, you got anything to add to it? Otherwise, we'll dial up Jeff and we'll start giving these people some information that they can use hopefully this season to catch a few fish. One other quick one would be YouTube. Uh, Backlash podcast on the YouTube channel, uh, Jeff, you kind of forgot about that one. You know, one of the things that we're working on there, and I think I might have mentioned it last week, I can't remember, but we just, uh, well, we released the fiberglass boat installation of side imaging transducer. We have recorded an aluminum boat version, and uh, I don't know exactly, Jeff, when that's going to come about, but... <laughs> My editor just had a kid yesterday, so we'll see where this goes. Anyway, we need to get that edited and put out there on that YouTube channel as well. Absolutely. So, if we've got nothing else to add, let's give Jeff a call. Let's do it. Our guest for tonight is Jeff Hansen with Madison Muskie Guide Service. Jeff, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule. We really appreciate it. How are you doing today? Good, good, yeah. Thanks a lot, you guys, for having me. I appreciate it. I know it's been a long time coming. You've been on our list for a while. Yeah, good. Our schedule's finally lined up to be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that we were able to do it because 
quite honestly, not to toot your own horn too much, but I don't know that there's anybody in southern Wisconsin that puts up the number of fish in the boat that you do every season. And we're going to get into that tonight. But before we get rolling on that, why don't you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, the background where, you know, where you came from, what were you doing before you decided to start musky fishing or what got you into musky fishing and, you know, and, and then just talk about the guide service, where they can find you. And then we'll start firing some questions at you and see if we can't give these guys some knowledge to help them put some more fish in the boat this spring. Okay. I started musky fishing in 83, 84, right in there when I was 12 years old, I had seen, I mean, I'd always fished a ton since I was a real little kid and you mainly bluegills, bass. Whatever I could catch, I didn't care. I mean, I caught carp, bullheads, whatever. There's a bullhead pond where I could ride a bike from my parents' house that me and buddies rode to almost every day after school. So, I mean, I love to fish all the time. And uh, I got into musky fishing. We, my parents would rent a cabin on Fish Trap Lake in Sawyer County. And we did a lot of bass and pike and crappie fishing. And the guys in the cabin next to us were bringing in these big, big muskies and had pictures of big muskies. And back then, unfortunately, people kept some of them. So they'd bring some back to the lots, and I saw these fish. I'm like, man, oh, man, would I like to catch one of those? And I was talking to my dad about it. He's like, oh, you're wasting your time trying to go after those. That's a fish of 10,000 cats. You're never going to catch one of those. So that whole next year before we went up there again, that's all I thought about. So I shoveled some extra driveways and mowed a bunch of extra yards and bought myself my own musky rod and reel and asked for a few baits for Christmas or whatever. So that first, the next year I went up in, in June, I had all that stuff, and my dad was still laughing at me telling me that i was wasting my time so he'd be bass fishing or pike fishing or whatever and i'd be throwing musky baits off the back the back of the boat and lo and behold after the fifth day of casting all day long i finally ended up catching one it was a 32 incher and once i boated that fish i never wanted to fish for anything else ever again so yeah it's been yeah long well, i've been musky fishing for 36 years been guiding for this will be my 24th year uh my 12th year totally full-time the first 12 years that I was guiding, I was a carpenter still uh, working on building custom homes. And in 2008, the construction market kind of took a crap around here and we just wasn't getting hours in. And I had people that wanted guide trips every day during the middle of the week. And I'd only been doing half days after work. I'd go frame houses from 7 in the morning till 3 or 4. And I'd meet guys for guide trips at 5 and fish till 10 o'clock at night. I'd just do half days after work. So... I was I was very very busy and then doing full days on weekends. I just got so swamped with that that I decided to go full time in 2008 and been lucky enough to do it uh, ever since. So Jeff, if people are looking to you know learn more about your guide service, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, you can go to my website mattsmuckyguide.com. All the information is on there for uh, finding me. I mean, all about me. Tons of pictures of clients with big fish uh, and all kinds of information on my website. You know, I got to tell you, Brad, listening to his story from mowing lawns to snowblower work to framing houses to working all the time, a lot of it about being successful in the musky world seems to be about work ethic. And that's the same thing I get out of Jeff, you know, same kind of story, work hard, do this. So I guess a lesson to anybody that's hoping to make it in this industry you better be prepared to work pretty hard because it sounds like Jeff before you, you know, I mean, I know you're busy guiding all the time, but even before that doing the double duty thing at night and you know, all that, it sounds like you didn't have too much spare time. No, I was, I don't know how looking back at it, how, I mean, as I was in my late twenties when I was doing 
a lot of that. I mean, I never slept. I mean, by the time I got the bull put away, it was 11, 11.30 at night, and 8, I wouldn't get to bed until 12.30, and was back up at 6 o'clock to go go pound nails again. Just, just I can't imagine going going back to that now. But, um, yeah, I mean, when I started in construction, when I was still in high school, that first year after I was out of high school, I didn't have my own boat, I guess, until I was 19 or 20. I'd met a roofer through being a carpenter that there was a lot of hail damage and stuff around this area at that time. And he needed help on weekends. So I was going with him and working on weekends and doing nights during the fall and, and winter helping him with roofs. And that's how I ended up paying for my first boat was uh, shingling roofs. Well, you find a way when there's a will, there's a way. And it sounds like you, you found that way. So, you know, and it's amazing. I know, Jeff, I've known you for a long time, and you definitely have a huge following in this industry, and you're known for putting fish in the boat. And I've guided some of your clients that you've guided in the past and so on and so forth. So it's a it's a cool story. And I, Jeff's right. You know, the, the bottom line to anything, I don't care if it's the musky industry or if it's whatever, work ethic definitely plays a factor. And uh, I know for a fact you're not scared to work. Yeah, that's, I mean, musky fishing, it's, it's definitely work. I mean, some days seem like there's no muskies around, and it's the next day you can be covered up in them. It's just putting the time in and the hours in. I mean, I wish when I first started that I would have gone out with a guy or spent the money and gone out with some guys because I really bought a lot of really dumb stuff when I was first starting out. I mean, I'd go and buy stuff that was in bargain bins at Walmart or Cannon Mountain or wherever, that was stuff. There was reason that it was in the bargain bin. It was stuff I should have never bought. But I didn't have anybody to point me in the right direction. Most of my stuff in my early musky years was self-taught. A lot of trial and error, and definitely more error than anything else. I know we've said it on the podcast a lot. You know the guides that we have on, and we have a lot of guides on. You know they're they're all willing to come out and share a lot of information. But if if you do really want to cut the learning curve, I mean. It, these podcasts are great. Watching YouTube videos are great. Muskie Hunter Magazine, all of it can all help. But, you know, time on the water is really what it takes. And getting in the boat with one of these guides, I mean, Brad, you're a guide. You know how it is. It can really, really shorten your learning curve by what you can learn just with a day on the water with these guys. It's, you know, like you said, Jeff, from knowing what equipment to baits that they use to all this different stuff, it can help save you money instead of costing you money necessarily just based on what it what the one day guide trip is, even if it's a half a day guide trip, you can still learn quite a bit. That's for sure. I mean, the right reels to use. I mean, I go through everything on a guide trip with people. I mean, from the time of day, what lures to use, what line to use, what leaders to use, what rods to use. I mean, these, all these things are tools to use. I mean, just like being a carpenter, you need a lot of tools to get the job done. Same thing with musky fishing. You, you need a lot of different tools to put, put muskies in the boat. And hopefully we're going to talk about a few of those tools here today yet also to help guys uh, get started. So, Jeff, we're roughly 35 days, that's what you told me, away from the southern Wisconsin musky opener. For people that aren't familiar with Wisconsin, it's split. Uh, Highway 10 is the dividing line between the southern zone and the northern zone. The northern zone doesn't open up until, what is it, Labor Memorial Day. I always get those two confused. Memorial Day weekend in May. And the Southern Zone opens up the first Saturday in May. So we're 35 days away, Jeff. We're going to talk spring fishing today. What is it that you're looking for when you're just getting started? Obviously, you know, with the season starting, do you go out to those lakes before? I mean, in April, are you going out to see what weed growth is like and things are going on, bait fish migrations, any of that before you get on the water, starting with the season opener? 
you know, Jeff, I, I don't go out in April at all. I will wait until usually the Friday, Thursday or Friday before season opens. So that way, it's just, uh, if the progression is as far along as it can be where, where the weeds, the newest weeds are going to be. Uh, here in Madison Chain, I'm sure a lot of other places, the weeds change every single year. I, mean, I pretty much got to delete my a lot of my weed waypoints. So all the weed points and little weed spots change every single year. Some of my best spots that I fished two years ago were absolutely void of weeds last year. So you really, really got to do your homework and spend some time and, and, and drive around. And I'll do that always that, usually that Friday before season opens. I'll, I'll drive the lakes that I fish all day long. I mean, I'll spend 12, 14 hours out and mark the best weeds that I can find or the newly emerging stuff and try and get them mapped out the best that I can. And I'll spend some time in open water too and figure out where some of the biggest pods of bait fish are because I, I don't always just fish weeds. I'll fish a lot of open water early also, depending on what my clients want. Are you a stroller, Jeff, or are you mostly just casting? 80% of my business is casting and 20% is trolling. Uh, I had quite a few trolling trips last year, guys that wanted to learn how to troll. It uh, was a big part of it. But uh, I had some people that just say, hey, I don't care how we catch them, we'll do whatever. And if the, troll, the fish were biting trolling at that time, I took them trolling. So I love trolling. Unfortunately, I don't get enough people that want to troll because I could cover a lot of water trolling. And quite frankly, some of the biggest fish I've ever caught have been trolling. I just don't get to do it enough because some people just don't enjoy it. And I like casting or trolling. It doesn't matter to me. I just like netting muskies. Right. I know that the, you did a video this, uh, last spring with Jeff. I'm not sure when you aired that, Jeff, but it's on YouTube. So people can maybe relate a voice to uh, actually who Jeff Hansen is. So. Well, if you really want to learn how Jeff Hansen is, I could tell you a couple stories about Jeff. So, because we've we've uh, we've done some we've done some filming together in the last couple years. First year that we're filming, we went out, Jeff, and we were we were trying to film a trolling segment, if I remember right. We were out for a day or whatever, and you know things weren't really great. And I know you felt you know pretty down about it. And if for anybody that knows Jeff, I don't want to create the uh, expectation, but Jeff puts a ton of fish in the boat every single year. So I know, and I mean, what do you get skunked? I don't want, like I said, I don't want to create unrealistic, unrealistic expectations for people, but Jeff, you don't get skunked too many days out of the year, do you? No, I don't think I had a day last year where somebody didn't at least have one on. I mean, you don't always get, get them in the boat, but very rarely do I not at least boat one. I mean, my best day last year was eight that year before my best day was 10. That was with you. We got, we got all that on video, which was a miracle that that actually happened when we had a camera in the boat, but. My average trip, an eight-hour trip, I'll usually boat two fish a trip. So Jeff alluded to the 10-fish day, and that's where I was going to go with the story. So Jeff felt bad. He's like, I'll, I'll call you up when I think the bite's going, you know. Well, Jeff calls me up, and I was busy with a bunch of other stuff, so I hang up. I, I tell Jeff, no, I can't go. I think it was a Thursday or Friday. I'm like, no, I can't. Well, I mean, Reese, like at that point in my life, a couple things had gone down, and I was thinking to myself, you know, Maybe I should just go and and just go fishing. Well, I think it was, if I remember right, Jeff, like you had you talked to me the day before and there was, I think you had like six or whatever in the boat. And you're like, I think it'll be a good day. And oddly enough, I want to say there was a cold front or there was a something change or a weather change of some sort. And I'm like, oh, great. I know how this is going to go. I'm super busy. I'm going to take a day off of work. I'm going to go fishing and we're going to end up getting nothing. And quite honestly, Jeff, it was the exact opposite. So if you go to our YouTube channel, 
We caught so many muskies, we had to break it up into four different videos because, and every single video had at least two. It was almost like a challenge for us to see if they'll actually eat this bait or that bait because it was ridiculous. So if you want, uh, Jeff's in, I think, I think Jeff's probably in like six of our videos we have on YouTube right now. Yeah, I counted them today. There's, there's nine of them. Is that what there is? Nine total? All right. So Jeff's pretty yeah. popular on our YouTube channel. So if people really want to get a sense of what Jeff can bring knowledge-wise to them, go certainly check it out. And, I mean, quite honestly, spending this much time in the boat with Jeff, like as far as figure eight goes, I mean, if you want to learn how to figure eight a muskie, Jeff's going to show you how to do it because those Madison muskies definitely eat on the eight. And, again, I don't want to pour too much praise onto Jeff because, you know, his head's pretty big already. But, anyways, he, uh, he can turn – uh, inactive or I want to say lazy follow fish into a biter really fast. I don't know that I've seen too many people that good on the eight. I know Brad, when I fished with you that one time, I think, I think you got a couple on the eight too. So you got to be right up there with them. I'm certainly not to that caliber, but you know, just to say, just to kind of lay the groundwork on who Jeff is and what he can do. He's, he's an accomplished angler. There's no doubt. Well, I think one of the unique stories about his business too is where he's guiding. There's a ton of pressure that I think we should discuss yet today, but why don't we slip back in, Jeff, on kind of what you're going to be doing. You know, you've talked about you're getting out on Thursday or Friday before the opening. You're looking for those weed beds. What else are we doing? Yeah, just see how far along the weeds were. Actually, last year, we had such late ice out, and it was so cold right in the opener. We still had spawning fish here on Monona, or on Monona and Wabisa, the two bigger lakes here. And actually, someone were still spawning on wingers, the whole chain they were, which normally they're usually long done before opener starts. Last year, when I did that drive around, there was hardly any weeds. So I knew I was going to have my, my work cut out for me, especially the shallow stuff. So that's, there's not a lot of weeds. Then I'll start looking for rock structure. We get a lot of rock structure, humps, and sand areas that the fish will use, especially on sunny days. They'll run up into that stuff and sit and build up warmth. And then those fish can be tough to to catch during the day but boy at, at night you can get those fish to go in that shallow sand or those rocks they sit in that heat build up their metabolism and boy those last couple hours of light those fish want to eat so you don't necessarily always have to have weeds yeah you know the interesting thing for me jeff you know i do kind of the same thing i'm looking for that new the plush green weeds that we're all looking for when we're musky fishing but it's really unique the We've had the same kind of similar springs where the weed growth has been hindered pretty bad, and I think that's twofold. One, because of the temps. Two, we have had so much ice and so much snow cover on the ice. You know, there's no light penetration for six months out of the year because of the snow. So those weeds are, are way slower than normal. But I've found that a lot of times I'm still catching fish on the spots that I normally would fish before the weeds even get there at different times. Do you ever see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's almost like the fish know where the weeds are going to be or if there's something on the bottom there that the bait fish or the other smaller fish like that the muskies are there anyway. I, I will find a lot of that. I mean, even some of my best areas that I marked from the year before, I'll fish them regardless because year after year after year, even if there's no weeds there, it still seems to produce fish. And this, this year, we're way further along. I mean, the ice went off way earlier than it did last year. Water's already warm. We've had a lot of sunny days. 
So weeds are going to be good to start out this year, so they should be, be pretty easy to find. I would agree. I mean, we're in a way earlier, better position than we've been in probably three years. I'm excited that we should have some good weed growth, and we still have ice. We're a little bit further north than you are, Jeff. <laughs> we've ice has been off here for almost three weeks, so uh, which is way earlier than normal. I almost wish it would have stayed longer because, like what you were talking about, the light penetration, all of the weeds here didn't actually even totally die off. We're, it's going to be a really weedy year, which can end up being a problem come midsummer. Yeah, it can go both ways, right? I mean, just because we've had a couple rough Junes doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you probably deal with the water temp problems that we sometimes see here in my neck of the woods, but not very often, where you almost got to shut down your fishing because of uh, water temps going so high. So it's Yeah, I, I actually lost three weeks last year because of 80-degree temps, and that's been about the most that I've ever had to do. Normally, in years past, it'd be two, three days, maybe a week at most. But, yeah, last year was just crazy. We ended up losing a whole whole week or three weeks of season. Yeah, that's never fun either. So it goes both directions, that's for sure. So when yeah. you, you said that you're going out to the open water and you're looking. Um, what kind of open water are we talking about? What, what kind of depth and what kind of bait are we looking for, Jeff? Boy, anywhere from, depending on which lake I'm on, I mean, Wabisa, you only get to 38, 40 feet. There, I'm spending a lot of time driving around at 20 to 40 feet of water and finding the biggest concentrations of bait. Um, if it's even that Thursday or Friday before season, those fish won't be very far away from where they were when I marked them on Thursday or Friday. Monona gets up to 70 feet deep, and I will fish that open water. You know, same thing, 20 to 70 feet, but a lot of 30, 40, 50 foot of water. And the fish aren't necessarily always that far down they tend to run especially on sunny days some of them only be five ten feet down when you drive through that stuff very rarely early you see a lot of big arcs in and around it which i i believe because the muskies you're going over the top of shoot out to the side i mean what's nice about the side imaging now you can pick up on a lot of those fish that are way up high in the water column Hands down, I would agree with you completely there. Are you casting some of that open water as well, Jeff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have people that do not want to troll whatsoever, so I'll target the, those fish out in that open water, kind of throwing the sometimes bigger stuff just because in that open water, having something with a little bit bigger profile triggers a few more strikes. Now, I mean, I'll throw bucktails out in that open water, crankbaits. I mean, instead of throwing the six-inch, Twitchers that I'd be throwing over the top of the weeds. I'll throw some, some sevens and eights in there. Same thing with rubber. Instead of throwing regular or the spring dogs, I'll be throwing mag dogs, even the first week of season, just, just for a little bit bigger profile. Makes sense. What is the bait fish that you're dealing with there in those bodies of water? A lot of crappies, a lot of bluegills, tons of sheephead, white bass, suckers, carp bullheads, catfish. I mean, we got a little bit of everything. We don't have a, any Cisco's here. Those we Years and years ago, we did, but with everything else, with the global warming and whatever, the Madison chain just got too hot, and those fish couldn't put up with that. So I don't think there's been a Cisco found, even in Mendota, which is 80 feet of water. There hasn't been anything found in over 20, 25 years. 
Cisco wife, but we have, have everything else but that. How many bodies of water does the Madison chain consist of, Jeff? Well, with muskies in it, there's really only four, but there's six, seven, yeah, I mean, seven lakes. You're including the two mud lakes, but they only, the one, the biggest lake, Mendota, they don't stock muskies in that, and it's dammed off. And I mean, a few muskies that they stock in Mendota can get into Mendota, but they got to get through a dam and a set of locks, and they got to fight the current to get through there. So very, very few do. They're, they're concentrating on stocking the other four lakes and, and keep those musky fish. And the other ones are treating the trophy bass and walleye and pike lakes. What type of uh, fish are they stocking down there in, in Madison, Jeff? Well, they're stocking, uh, I mean, just the regular natural muskies uh, and leech lake muskies. I mean, uh, Chippewa strain, Wisconsin River strain, and leech lake strain. So we're get, getting some bigger fish here. Definitely the, the Leech Lake strain fish finally got to the 50-inch mark here the last year. So there was more 50-inches caught in Madison last year than there's ever been, and that'll continue to grow. The downfall to that will be pressure will increase. It's already bad enough, but since more 50s are coming out, there'll be a lot more people coming here. Well, before we talk about combating uh, pressure, why don't we talk about so we kind of talked about uh, what you, you you know the locations you're looking for. What type of baits are you looking for to start the season off? Boy, I really start with a lot of small stuff early, depending on what the the fish are doing. Uh, that's what's nice about having three people in the boat. We'll have three different people throwing three different things. I'll have one person that's in the bow of my boat that'll throw toward shallow water and throw, I make sure when I'm fishing that I have one person always throwing off the bow of the boat. So I'll get in these shallow weed spots and I have one customer stand on one side of the deck and one stand on the other and I'm covering huge swaths of water at one time. But the one that I have that's casting towards shore, I'll usually have thrown a, a bucktail just to see how active the fish are to start start off the day. I'll definitely stop moving faster like that just to, to see if the fish are biting that because you can cover a lot more water with bucktails one of my favorite ones to last for years and years and years has been a, a rabbit squirrel and i just was talking to brad about this the other day single blade versus double blade he said they, they've been selling a lot more double blades but for the last few years i've done way better on the single blades i don't know if it, there's so many guys throwing double bladed bucktails here the single blades uh work better or maybe that's just because what i'm i'm throwing most of the time uh, especially lately uh, I did throw some double ones last year, and I could hardly get them bit, and the singles just produced fish for me, and you could cover a lot of water with them. With that slim profile on those rabbit squirrels, you can just cream those things in. And if you want to get them deeper, I use a, a half-ounce weighted leader made by Stealth Tackle on those things in the spring. If the water's real, real clear. we got zebra mussels, and a lot of times you got to move, move baits fast, otherwise you get lazy follows on them. And with that weighted leader on those rabbit squirrels, you can scream those things in and still keep them down. Otherwise, they're, they're right up on top of the water if you're um, not adding a little bit of weight to them. But that way, I get to bring them in as fast as I can and still keep them about a foot down and, and, and get a lot of more strikes that way. Then we use a lot of small twitch baits, six-inch small twitchers. There's a new one that that I got to play with this year that just came out, the five-inch Chalamino from Slammer. I'm looking really forward to, to trying that one out. Smoker Tackles got that five-inch small twitch bait that's that's been a good one too um and then a lot of baby squircos and seven inch suics 
that you will usually always have somebody in May throwing a baby squircle year in year out. That's probably ends up at the end of the month. Probably my biggest fish producers usually on a baby squircle. Uh, seven inch suix have been really, really good for me. I like the weighted suix, but the key with using those small jerk baits is using uh, smaller equipment. So many guys complain about not being able to get action out of those smaller baits. Just because they're trying to use their monster heavy or extra heavy rods that they're using the rest of the season. You got to use a medium heavy. I prefer uh, like a seven six medium heavy rod for throwing those small baits. You get a lot better action out of those seven inch hooks and, and six inch uh, or five inch baby squircles. You get a lot better action out of, out of that rod with a lot softer tip. Um, other baits that I'll use that time of year is I'll use a lot of regular size bulldogs, some of the smaller medusas, especially the fish. If it's sun, sunny out, and the fish are holding deep, deeper in some of the deepest weeds, you, you really sometimes need to make contact with those weeds to get those fish to bite, and that small rubber will do that. Small crankbaits, like the MF Shad, they're diesel for musky train. I'll use those to tick those weeds. Uh, Suic Wrangler is another one that I'll count down and tick those weeds. And uh, another secret weapon of mine that I've had forever has been either Dr. Spoons or Johnson Silver Minnows, which is probably the number one most hated bait that. I give to customers, I always get dirty looks when I hand them to them, but I've had a lot of, of muskies in the boat on those, especially cold fronts or tough situations, and those fish get packed in those weeds. There's nothing that can go through those thick weeds and trigger strikes, uh, like those, those silver minnows or those doctor spoons. You know, just put a white Mr. Twister with two or four tails on the back of it on those things, and those are really, really good producers in May. You know what, I'll use those throughout the season, too, if you get a bad cold front, but I'll catch a lot of fish on May and those. And that's kind of an overlooked bait that a lot of people don't throw. Well, and the one thing about the muskies over in Madison is, I, I mean, there's there's muskies. There's, you, I mean, you and I have put numbers in the boat. We've also put some big fish in the boat, but it's not going to be without pressure. How do you combat that pressure? Because even with the pressure, you're still able to get these fish to bite in the, you know, the areas in, that you're fishing are i wouldn't say that they're not exactly community spots but they're also not exactly like super hidden gems you know what's the what's the detail like what is it that allows you to put fish in the boat when it seems like other guys aren't necessarily catching them i will fish a lot of like on weekends i won't fish the community spots because i already know that they're going to get the snap pounded on them that's where it really helps to fish be able to fish the entire lake and know where all the spots are because I'll fish spots that don't have the greatest weeds or the nicest weeds, but then they're going to be holding fish that aren't getting the snot pounded out of them every 15 or 20 minutes. I mean, I don't get in lines behind guys going down weed beds. I mean, if I do and have no other choice, I won't fish straight behind him. I'll either go a little bit out to the deeper side or I'll go to the inside. I'll even fish inside weed lines. I just don't follow other boats around. I mean, don't get in the bad habit of some of these weed beds are a mile long on all these lakes and you just see guys every 60 70 80 yards on a line all going down one after another all on the same line that just makes absolutely zero sense you always got to go either a little bit shallower a little bit deeper and like i was talking about before in the for spring fishing i always have one person throwing off the other side of the boat out away from the weeds there's scattered weeds out away off the weed edges and there's also a lot of bait and that's usually where the, the first break or even into the secondary break are and a lot of these big pressured fish hang just off of the weed lines um, not always but a lot of times the person that's, that's throwing out is the one that contacts the biggest fish of the day so that's critical and then just paying attention to what everybody else is throwing i mean you see so many guys 
I mean, I'll go past guys. There'll be three in the boat all throwing the same thing. That's a little guiding. I'll get three people. If you go past me and all three of us are throwing the same thing, then you know the fish are absolutely on that bait. We'll have three different baits going all the time and then and see what works. I mean, just like I was talking about with the rabbit squirrels with the two blade versus one. If everybody's out there throwing double blades, but on a single blade, just that different vibration um, will we'll, we'll trigger strike. Same thing if you see a lot of guys that are throwing bulldogs throw a Medusa or these lakes get pounded with bulldogs and Medusas here. I'll go through and throw a, a Big Joe, which is actually the first soft plastic that was came out ever in the early 80s. That's been a huge, huge success for me. Fish just don't see them here. I mean, I've talked about using them for years and, and people still don't use them. It's just something that the fish don't see. You know, the fish aren't seeing it. That's I mean, you end up putting a lot more fish in the boat throwing baits that fish aren't seeing. One of the things, Jeff, then I, I would be interested in is colors. You mentioned that uh, the zebra mussels have taken over. So what is the general colors that you look at, um, especially being early like this? Before an algae bloom, you're dealing with crystal clear water. What color baits are you usually choosing? A lot of white and perch colors in my body baits. I mean, like the... Uh, White baby squircles or perch baby squircles in that clear water are fantastic. Bucktail-wise, a lot of black and nickel. If it's cloudy out, I'll go with the black and nickel. If it's sunny out, I'll go with like the natural, like on the rabbit squirrels, the natural squirrel tail with gold has been a dynamite one when the sun's out. Just a lot more natural patterns. With the zebra mussels, the water's been really, really clear here. Even last year, into with how cold it was, into the second week of June, I was still using a lot of natural patterns. But white. It's been a color for me that you can't go wrong with. Clear water, dirty water, any time of the year, white has always been a good producer for me, particularly here in the wet Madison chain. We have a lot of forage that's white, the sheephead, the crappie, just a lot of white forage here. But otherwise, you, you can never go wrong in Madison with perch. What White or perch are, are, are really good colors. Well, any, any natural stuff in the clear water is what I really seem to go with. The only time that I'll go to brighter stuff is real low light. You know, if the sun's coming up, I'll mix up some orange in there, some chartreuse, or some flame blades. All black, grab the scroll, the flame blade that I've done real, real good on. That's one that uh, customers start throwing right away in the morning or the, the last hour light. Just a little bit of that brighter color and that real low light has been, been real good. Then if I'm fishing after dark in that clear water, I like black and black or a little bit of black and gold. That I really like the silhouette of an all-black bait in the dark. Makes good sense. Are you throwing the squirrels after dark as well, Jeff? I haven't. I will tend to go to, if I'm night fishing, I'll use a little bit bigger, bigger bait. I have caught some in, into the dark on, on some squirrels, some black and smoke, but we tend to go with a, a little bit bigger bait after dark. So, Brad, what I want to know is back in the day when Billy had this thing, he was always, he made some willow-bladed Rabbit squirrels. When am I going to be able to get my hands on a willow-bladed rabbit squirrel? What's the story? <laughs> I don't know. Let us get uh, our feet set on the ground here for a little bit, Jeff. It's all, it hasn't even been a full year. <laughs> uh, I'm an impatient person, Brad. I don't like waiting for stuff, and I know that bait works. I've been telling people at the shows, they're like, hey, what do you think of these rabbit squirrels? I'm like, I think they're really good. But if you could ever find one with willow blades, whether it be a double or a single, by like 12. So I'm just, you know, just trying to help a brother out. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um, 
you would also not like it if we didn't ship on time as well. <laughs> so we're trying to mediate all of that. How's that sound? I mean, it sounds like excuses to me. That's all I hear. Just a bunch of excuses. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I'm. What was the part that we started this whole conversation off? Work ethic? Yeah, something like that. I'm lacking. I don't know. Yeah, that must be it. <laughs> no, it's it's a time demanding bait. I mean, if you look at the way that those baits are construct constructed, they're tied right to the wire, and to make that hair stand up, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Can it be done? Yes, of course it can, but it takes time to tie. And our biggest concern, I guess, at this point is is that we can. Uh, fulfill orders and make sure the quality stays there. And, you know, quality has always been a huge part of Muskie Mayhem. So it's definitely something that we consider all the time. So, Jeff, were you one of the lucky ones that got to play with a rabid girl last year, or is that going to be new for your boat this year? Yeah, no, I uh, I, I didn't have any of those last year. When at the show, Brad showed me right away the white ones. Billy Beekner owned it. I was after him forever for get, to get some white squirrel hair, and he it just it can't happen. And I talked talk to Brad about it too. And then one of the first thing he, he showed me when I walked up to their booth at the Chicago show, he showed me one of the one of the white ones with the the tinsel on it, and I was like, wow. So yeah, that uh, that'll be a a good one for for this year for sure. I'm excited to try a few of those. I can't wait till I twist Brad's arm enough and I can get some on the TRO website. It's being worked on, Jeff. I, I have no doubts. You're you're always up to something over there in the, in uh, Alaska where you live. Yeah, we are in the tundra, that's for sure. But no, you know, definitely we. Uh, well, actually, the show season should have just been completed yesterday or two days ago. Yeah, yesterday, I guess. And you know, the goal is is to get them out to the retailers. That's for sure. And, and again, that's the same kind of tying process that uh, the hair is. And it, it takes some extra time, and, and one of the things that we want to make sure is that we can fulfill and meet the demand of the customer through the retail side of it, that's for sure. So one other thing that pops into my mind would be the fact that on certain years, and I'm going to guess the last two years you probably dealt with this, are you fishing pre-spawn fish, or are they all post-spawn once you get into this? And, and how do you handle that situation depending on the year, Jeff? You know, last year, there was an absolute ton of fish still spawning, especially on the two bigger lakes. Uh, Winger, the smaller lake here, they were still spawning there. Last year was the first time in my life I ever caught a muskie there that had eggs in it, and they actually sprayed them all over the boat. Yeah, I mean, I'll fish differently just because the water's colder, and it, it is really, really hard to get spawning fish to bite. Luckily... Not all of them go through the motions at the same time. I mean, it almost seems like the spawn goes on for three or four weeks, and they're not all spawning at the same time. Uh, the big females are definitely, definitely hard to catch. But like last year, first week of season, most of the fish that I caught were under 40. I think I had a 46 and a couple other nice ones, but most of the fish were 32 to 36, 37 inch, and those were males. Um, you could tend to get those to bite more. The females don't really turn on good until they're well past the spawn. I mean, two, three weeks past, they're done, they're done spawning. I mean, you'll see those big fish swimming around all over in the shallows, and they have absolutely zero interest in chasing after any lures. So you you want to be targeting the fish that aren't up there. You're just pretty much wasting your time, in my opinion, 
throwing at them spawning fish. And I, I'd rather just leave those fish alone anyway. Let them go through the motions and get back to normal soon. That makes perfect sense. It's uh, it's something that I think we probably, no matter where you are, I mean, all the states kind of regulate the season based upon, you know, hopefully the fish have already done their spawning deal. So, you know, I'd say the last two years for sure, we were still dealing with fish that were pre-spawned or in the, the start of the spawning cycle when the, our opener came. So it made things a little challenging and it was a bumpy for a week or two, but it settled back in. So Jeff, we've dealt with a lot about spring and early season. So as the season progresses, we're not quite talking summer patterns yet. What's the next step you're going to make as you start moving from spring to summer as far as uh, locations? And then we'll talk more about, you know, baits. Um, I guess location-wise, I'm just sliding out a little bit deeper. You know, the first, definitely the first week of season, there's a lot of places where I'm fishing right up against the bank. Uh, definitely, like I was talking about having one person throwing one way and one throwing another. There's a lot of times I'd spend where one one customer can be hitting the bank and the other one can catch far off the other way. By the second or definitely by the third week of May, I'm another cast out because the, the weeds here grow so fast, especially with how clear the water's been the last, few years because the zebra mussels those weeds grow very 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 fast so you end up being i mean after two three weeks you're up end up being 100 yards or more off of shore in a lot of places just because the weeds are are up to the top and the same thing with a lot of the rock piles here they all have weeds growing on top of them where it's like for opener or the first week of season i'm right on top on top of these rock piles and by the second or third week or definitely the end of may i'm doing deeper passes off of these rock piles because the weeds have gotten so high up on top of them for, for location-wise. And bait-wise, you'll notice trolling now that the, a lot of the fish have dropped out deeper too or, or set up deeper. The first couple weeks of season, a lot of those fish like that warm water are way, way, way up high in the water column versus the third week of May towards the end of May. A lot of, a lot of those fish will be set up a lot, a lot. You'll find them deeper in the water column. Then if I'm trolling or casting, I'm starting to run stuff a lot deeper later in the month than what I was if I was trolling or casting the first couple of weeks. So I know we talked a lot about shallow, you know, early season stuff. I can't remember if we touched on it or not. I know last year you did it. Do you do much early season trolling? Yeah, for, I think for the first two days I fished last year, I trolled um, and got a couple of fish each day. I just may, I end up having, uh, if somebody calls me during the winter time and says, hey, I just want to catch a muskie, I've never caught one, when should I call them? I'll, I'll tell a lot of people to come in May because the smaller males are pretty aggressive that time of year. And it, I mean, muskies are never easier, easy to catch. But that time of year, especially people haven't thrown a lot of lures or used a lot of the bigger equipment, then May we're throwing medium heavy rods and reels, lighter lighter gear, lighter baits, and it's quite frankly a lot easier on people to, to fish that time of year. So, Jeff, as you move out to these break lines and, and you uh, change locations a little bit, is the baby squircle still the lure of choice, or what are you using now to uh, target these these big muskies? Well, it really depends on the day. If I have a cold front, I mean, I'll still throw baby squircles. I've got fish on baby squircles in October and November. I'll always have them in my boat. Uh cold fronts the, the fish really seem to like them but on a typical year by the end of may i would have moved up to the regular size squircle last year i was throwing baby squircles into the second week of june still um, just with how cold things were and that, that's not going to happen this year 
I'll start throwing some bigger stuff. You know, I'll switch into uh, nine-inch Stuix. That were that was an awesome, awesome bait for me. Well, every year, but last year, the end of May, even mid-May, with with how cool it was, I was surprised at how many fish I was getting to eat those nine-inch Stuix just with an exaggerated pause. That's been a, a really, really, really good bait for me. The Shallow Invader is another really, really good one for me. Um, I've caught, well, people always ask, how, how are you working them? I've done just as well straight cranking them as, as ripping and jerking. So I'll make one cast, straight cranking them, second cast, rip them and jerk them, and then catch a lot of fish on them. Bulldogs, I'll throw a lot of regular, and if I'm fishing in the open water like I was talking about, I'll throw mags. But if I'm still in the weeds, even till the end of May, I'll still throw a regular bulldog. I'll catch an absolute ton of fish on there. And then bucktail-wise, I'll lose, use a lot of double eight to throw a lot of double eight spankies. If the water's clear, there was a really, really good one last year that you have, Jeff, called Natural Walleye that's got these walleye blades on it. When I first saw them, it was the dumbest-looking thing ever. But in the water, that is probably the most natural-looking bucktail that I've ever seen. I did really good on that bait on, on Eagle Lake, too. That was a really good one for me. But otherwise, the, the water was a little bit dirtier than the brighter stuff. It was really good. That uh, gangrene and Harley were, were both really good ones. And then I'm throwing more more top water later in the month. I should have talked about normally the month of May, I throw the one I really junior than the rest of the year. I'll, I'll go with the bigger one. But if I'm not getting action on the bigger one, I'll, I won't be afraid to go to the smaller one. Then I'll throw a lot of hog wobbler style baits in May. A friend of mine's dad makes one called the Top of John that, that John Eversall makes. That's been a really, really good one for me. And tail rotating stuff, I don't get into much in May. I just haven't had a lot of luck with them. So I just catch more big fish on the hog wilders or the one-eyed willies when the when the water's cooler. And I'm not throwing those during the middle of the day unless it's, if it's raining and crappy out. I will throw that top water early, but otherwise it's generally the first hour of the day, the last hour of the day that I'm I'm throwing that uh, top water. Then in June, then I'll start getting into the tail rotating stuff, but. Uh, Hog wobblers and even some creepers have been good for me the whole month of May. Yeah, otherwise, we have big sewage. When do you start seeing, Jeff, uh, your your algae blooms and kind of darkening maybe some of that water with some green in it? Knowing with the zebra mussels, I mean, it's something that we don't normally see around me till like mid-July, August. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Are you seeing a, an algae bloom in June? Yeah, you know, years ago, They'd be bloomed up by June 1st or they, definitely by the 8th of June. Now, last year, Monona stayed clear seven, eight visit, foot visibility right almost into the end of June. Wabisa, Wingra, Mud Lake dirtied up earlier than that and, and got a little bit green. But yet, yeah, uh, these zebra mussels have changed this things tremendously here. I, I mean, I, I would much rather have that bloom. It definitely makes it easier to uh, catch fish. Uh, and a little bit dirtier water. I mean, I don't want a pea soup, but it's really nice if it's a two or three foot visibility versus an eight or 10 or 12 foot visibility. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Do you kind of welcome that when it actually happens? And is there a game plan change with that, Jeff, or is it just more so that uh, the visibility, you know, you're hidden a little bit better? Yeah, the water's clear. I tend to increase your retrieve speeds is mean make night or day different if you're retrieving slow in that clear clean clear water you're going to get lazy follows you got to be moving those baits fast when i'm bringing in those you know those rabbit squirrels the spankies or whatever bucktails that i'm bringing i am humming them 
if you bring them in slower or medium space, yeah, you'll probably end up seeing a few more fish, but you're not going to get as many biters. And like Jeff was talking about with the figure eights, you got to be spot on perfect with your figure eights here because a lot of these fish are coming in just hauling when you're bringing them in that fast, and you got to be able to convert your your figure eight every single time. I mean, customers can you go through uh, the beginning of the guide trip, I show them how to figure eight perfectly. You do a couple practice ones, but as soon as they have a 45 inch or plus fish come screaming in behind their bait, which I mean, I'm sure I did it too. When I first started out, you get a little bit too excited and do little tiny figure eights or, or freak out and you don't, you don't get the fish, but you got to be perfect, perfect with a big figure eight every single time. Um, especially in that, that clear water when those fish are coming in fast. Cause a lot of times you don't see them until you're almost already done with your first figure eight before one comes coasting in. Because in that clear water, they could be coming from, you got to be really watching, not just behind your lure, but to the left or to your right. I saw some come in last year from 15 feet off to the, the right in that clear water that were just getting up to the bait when I was almost done with my figure eight. So you got to be really scanning the water in and around in that clear water. So you never know when those where those fish are coming from. Yeah, that makes good sense. I mean, I deal with it as well. One of the things that I'm wondering now then is what reels you're choosing to use as far as gear ratio. You know, you're talking about burning baits. How are you fighting fatigue that way? I, I use a lot of the tranks, the uh, 400s. I, I mean, I'm a bigger guy. I like using the, the 500 too, and then just put, put power handles on them. And that's made night and day difference. That's, I was actually watching, uh, you put out some of your older videos the other day. I was watching one, uh, Billy Beekner and Jason Hammernick, one of your videos that you filmed, and then went in one of the Minnesota tournaments. And the reels that those guys were using with the paddle handles and where they were cranking in cowgirls, I mean, just the retrieve speed that they had to do on those older reels. I don't know when that video was from years ago, but just made me laugh and gl- glad that we have these power handles, these high-speed reels compared to those days. Yeah, hands down, Jeff. I, I agree. I mean, if you would have seen those two when they were burning those baits in, and it was, it's all about speed at that point. You know, that was the first cold front going into uh, the end of August, beginning of September. Definitely speed can be a factor there as well. But in today's world, I mean, that was probably filmed in 2006, I think. Quite a difference since then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the power handles and the reels that have come out since then. I mean, every year it's just incredible how much easier that these companies are making the fishing on us without having to get fatigued. Um, You definitely fish a lot of these bigger baits and fish stuff faster without as much fatigue as you used to have. Yeah, and another another good product that's come out is the Jig Ripper from Outdoor Grip for burning big blades. I mean, that thing's been a lifesaver for me. I mean, between all the years of construction and uh, fishing that I've done, I got carpal tunnel bad and bad wrists and arms. And since I've been using that Jig Ripper, I could burn blades all day long and, and really cut down on the fatigue on my in my arms that, that thing's been a lifesaver for me and a, a, a lot of customers and i mean people like where he's guiding couldn't throw tens or nines for very long but now that i'm using those jig rippers that that makes it a lot easier on a lot of a lot of people it's just one of those products i don't use a whole lot of yet i know i've seen you use it quite a bit and you swear by it it's probably something i should try out this year yeah yeah definitely if you have arm or forearm pain or fishing for a long time or going on a Canadian trip where you know you're going to be throwing a ton of big blades all week long. It's, it's definitely worth the investment to, to, to buy one. They've, uh, they've helped me tremendously the last five years since I've been using them. 
Yeah, we actually distribute for Jig Ripper some as well. And, you know, we, we do it because we believe in the product. And it definitely, I mean, if somebody's out there suffering from tennis elbow or maybe some other kind of issue, like you mentioned, carpal tunnel, it definitely is going to change the game and change your life in the boat, that's for sure. I know different people talking to them, you know, I could only maybe fish like four hours a day, and now with this I can fish eight to ten. You know, it's it's made that big a difference in people's lives. So I think it's, it's definitely something to check out if you have any of those types of issues. With or without a jig ripper, I can probably only fish about four hours a day, Brad. Jeff can attest to it. He's seen me. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm reaching out to some of the people that are actually hardcore and tough. Jeff. Oh, yeah. Not, not as wimpy people like you. Yeah, that's not me. Hardcore, tough, none of it. <laughs> if we're not... I'll be usually sitting down, taking a break, eating a salad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. You've seen me on video. I don't look like I eat too many salads, do I? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, Jeff. One of the neat things, you know, fishing with you, it, it's kind of like a vacation. Yeah, because we just get to go trolling all the time. Is that the deal? <laughs> we can do more trolling, I suppose. Then you can make it more than four hours, can't you? Uh, barely. Even trolling's tough. My butt hurts, you know. I, I'm, a, I'm a little wimpy guy over here in Wisconsin. <laughs> I, I beg to differ. <laughs> Hey, hey, Jeff, you know, the one thing that we were thinking of is, um, you know, when you're down there in Madison, I, I'll, I'll relate it back to our last podcast that we did with Luke. So we're talking about chasing big fish. If you're, tra- if you're like looking for a really big fish in Madison, do you fish differently or is it kind of like Luke said, Luke's looking for, Luke's looking to catch numbers because his, his theory is you're going to get your number, your size through your numbers. Meaning if you catch 10 fish, you're going to have a shot at a couple big ones. Is that kind of similar in Madison, or are you or are you fishing differently and working different spots, knowing that the big fish are on those spots, or are they in all the other spots that you're catching, you know, other muskies, and then it's just a a kind of a deal like Luke said, you're going to catch ten muskies, and one or two of them are going to be big. Is that kind of how your approach is, or do you chase them differently? I have people that, for the most part, just just want to catch fish. I mean, yeah, I have a bunch of regular customers that I've guided for years and years and years that want to target big fish. And I'll definitely fish things different. If I'm, if I'm just targeting, if we want to go after 40, 45 inch plus muskies here. I mean, we, I only had one fish over 50 in the boat last year. We just do not have a ton of them here in Madison yet. We got a lot of 45 to 48 inch fish with this leech lake strain. We're going to have a lot more fish over 50 in the next few years, but targeting them wise, yeah, like Luke said, I mean, if, I mean, one out of every 10, I guess, here was, is going to be over 45. You're not, not going to get a 50. If you want a 50, you definitely have to fish different different here. Because, I mean, I'm fishing every every single day, and I think I encountered four, maybe five fish over 50 last year that I saw that were definitely over 50. Just don't see a lot of them. And that's when I'm fishing the normal, normal spots. Just, tar- just trying to catch whatever we can catch, but since I'm so busy guiding, I don't I don't get a lot of the chances that I did years ago of you know trolling open water, or throwing bulldogs or pounders out in open water. I mean that's in Madison. That's how you're going to catch those big giant fish, and you've got to be able to fish all day long, two days, three days, and go without having a strike if you if you want to catch those fish. I mean my 
two biggest fish I've caught out of Madison were 52 inchers, and I caught those fish in middle of the lake, pounding giant open water, and going going for the the one fish. And the 152 I got, I'd fished two days and only seen one other fish. That was a four footer. I mean, fished two days, caught two fish. One was 48, one was 52. You just gotta be able to put put the time in and have the patience to know that you might not get bit, but if you do, it's gonna be be something big. You just gotta fish different areas. I, I believe these fish just get pressured so hard that there's big fish in open water that never see lures. I mean, I think, in my opinion, the only time they go shallow is to spawn, and that's it. I mean, there's you're in Madison. There's bait in open water year round all the time. So I, I really think those big giants would rather not get messed with and just stay in that open water and not get messed with and eat out over that open water and not have people throwing baits at them. So, Jeff, before we sign off and, and get out of here for the night, typically we're going to ask a guest a tip that they can help put more fish in the boat. You got something you can offer up the uh, listeners to help them catch more fish in 2020? Yeah, two, two. One I already had briefly talked about. I'll give you two quick tips here. here. One is... When you're fishing weed lines, always have somebody throwing off the other side of the boat. I mean, if you're fishing by yourself, throw one cast towards the weeds, one cast down the weed line, and one throw one cast out over open water. But, I mean, it's easier if you have two or three people. Always have one person throwing out. You're going to put a lot bigger fish in the boat. And the, the second tip I have would be definitely use different leaders for, for different baits. I mean, people get so stuck on throwing the same leader for everything throughout the season and not using anything else. I mean, the springtime, especially when I'm using these baby squircles and these seven inch suix and these smaller little twitch baits, I use a, a, a spring leader from spell tackle, just a six inch, 174 pound wire leader that doesn't have a snap on it. It's just got a welded ring on it. And that bait is just for that leader is really, really light and won't hamper any of the action or kill any of the action on, on your glide bait especially those small baby squircles, you know, or if you're a phantom guy or whatever, any of those small glide baits or jerk baits, those little thin leaders will not kill your action. And then just kind of match your leader size for, for the bait you're throwing. And then, like I was talking about earlier about the, the weighted leader, those are really worth trying too, especially getting your baits deeper. I mean, I'll throw those on pretty much everything, you know, blades, suics. I'll throw them a lot on suics and bulldogs. That way I'm getting my baits down another two, three feet deeper than what they're used to seeing. I mean, I could throw a, a 10-inch weighted suic on a one-ounce weighted leader in the fall, and I could run that thing nine, ten feet deep where fish aren't used to seeing that. And that helps put a lot of a lot of fish in the boat for me in pressured water. So just make just match your leaders for what you're doing, and, uh, yeah, that, you'll catch more fish. I think they're both great tips. Certainly something that people can put into action this this season and hopefully uh, catch a few more fish, especially with if you have multiple guys in the boat. If you're out there fishing with two buddies or three buddies or whatever you got going on, have one guy shooting it out. That's that's a great tip. Something I'm I'm guilty of. If we have two people, we're both typically throwing the same way. So, you know, the one thing I like about these tips on here, Brad, is sometimes it gets my own wheels turning and, you know, think about how I'm going to approach things differently because you know, I think we're all guilty of it a little bit, kind of get stuck in a rut a little bit hands down i think that's probably the majority of the problem in the musky world I, we hear different things and a lot of times you know if you're reading articles you're reading the same thing over and over again you know don't be afraid to cut against the grain and actually go try some different stuff and i think that's what jeff's talking about and and it 
coming from a guy that's fishing super pressured waters, you know, I hear it all the time. Oh, this lake's pressured. This is pressured. It doesn't get any more pressure than what Jeff's dealing with down there. So those tips are valid. That's for sure. Well, Jeff, once again, we want to thank you for coming and hanging out with us and talking muskies for the night. We really appreciate it. We should, we need to do it again sometime, maybe this summer we can catch up. For people that are looking to get in touch with you again, what's the best way to go about that? Just go to my website, madisonmuskyguide.com. My email is on there. My phone number is on there, and all the information regarding guide trips is on there. Um, I really appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, hopefully the listeners learned a thing or two from what we talked about and uh, like to hopefully end up having a few people spend the day in the boat with me. Hopefully they check you out because, like I said, for anybody that's wants proof of what Jeff can do, check out our, our videos on YouTube. Like I said, there's four of them. It was like probably, I think it was like four that we did. It wasn't this past season. It was a 2018 season that we put them out on YouTube and we split it up into four videos because it was so good. That was literally probably the best day of musky fishing I've ever been a part of with 10 fish in the boat. And Jeff, we didn't even fish that hard. We were done by two o'clock and they were still biting. We, if, if we could have stayed out till eight, we probably could have had 20. Well, right. Yeah. And then mess around with stuff with the video equipment and stopping for changing batteries and all that. Yeah. We, uh, and it was just me and you. If we would have had even another person in the boat, I couldn't imagine how many fish we would end up catching that day. Yeah. I mean, it was an unreal unreal day as it was, so I guess we can't get too greedy. But, you know, that's just, yeah. the, that's just the type of experience you can have down there in the waters that Jeff fishes. Like I said, there's a chance at big fish and there's a chance at numbers. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much what you're looking for. But you're gonna, it, it comes with a price. It's definitely not... It's not secret Lake X stuff where where nobody knows where you're fishing. There's definitely people out there. There's no doubt. Yeah, you got to have a lot of patience to be able to to fish here and, and go in knowing you're going to get cut off multiple times and whatever else. But you just the felt fish got to eat, so you just got to pound the water hard and uh, wait for those windows to open up. Absolutely. So, Brad, before we take off, you want to talk a little bit about musky mayhem tackle? Sure. You can check us out at muskymayhemtackle.com. Also on YouTube, as we mentioned early in this podcast, we're putting out content weekly here, I think until about the beginning of June, actually. We're putting out the old videos, but we're also including some new videos. So check out our YouTube channel and subscribe for notifications on a new video um, as it is as it, downloaded. Also, you can check us out both on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd love to hear from you, and we appreciate all our customers, and reach out and share with us. And for Backlash Podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and as we talked about in the intro, you can find us on YouTube as well. We occasionally have been putting stuff up. I'm a little bit behind on that. Things have just been still just too busy to get all the way caught up with everything. But if you're looking for the most latest updates on the podcast, and it's we put them out every single Wednesday morning. They always go out at 5 o'clock in the morning. You can find them on those other podcast-specific areas. YouTube is kind of like a secondary deal that I don't always have time to, but we're working on that. If you want to get in touch with Backlash Podcast, you can find us at backlashpodcast at gmail.com. You could also send us a message on Facebook or Instagram for Team Rhino Outdoors. For anybody that doesn't know, we are a retailer in the musky world, and we sell a ton of custom baits. We sell from most of the major manufacturers in the musky world, and one of the coolest things about us is real-time inventory. So if you put it in your cart, 
As long as my wife and I can count and my kids lately can count and put inventory in correctly, it should ship. You know, we occasionally have a small error once or twice, but we're talking very small chances and we'll always make it right with you no matter what we need to do. So if you want, check it out, teamrhinooutdoors.com. You can also find Team Rhino Outdoors on YouTube, which we have been putting out a couple videos lately. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and that would be at TRO Fishing, and you can find us on Facebook. Subscribe, like, all that kind of fun stuff. If you want, shoot us emails and whatever. For If you're going to shoot Backlash Podcast an email, don't always expect an instantaneous uh, reply. You know, that's... This is still a secondary deal. Brad, Carrie, and I make absolutely $0 from the podcast, and it needs to take second place to the businesses that we actually run that do make money, or we try to make money, right, Brad? Try is the key word, yes. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still working on that, maybe someday. But anyways, Jeff, we'll let you get out of here. Once again, you know, Brad and I, and I'm sure Carrie too, she's disappointed she couldn't be here she had more important things to do apparently although brad's probably getting to be about that time you know getting close to fishing season so carrie takes the summer off you and i'll do the heavy lifting i get it Uh no she had a different appointment and unfortunately when i said yeah let's go do this thing she was already committed but it worked out we were able to manage and fumble our way through it i guess um, I know there's probably a few people out there that are upset that are on her uh, fan club. <laughs> her fan club. There you go. But, uh, you know, here's the deal. She should be more involved than that's for sure. But uh, we've got a daughter that needed to be fed and things like that, too. So anyway, yeah. the deal. But yeah, thanks, Jeff, for uh, us being flexible with us rescheduling things. I know I had to move things around. We were supposed to do this the other night, and it didn't happen, and we were supposed to do it the night before, different, I think, or whatever. We'd been talking about it often. But anyways, thanks again, Jeff. We really appreciate it. You know, like I said, we we appreciate every every person that comes, every guest that comes out and takes their time out of their day to, to talk with us musky fishing. And once again, we just want to thank all the listeners that uh, download podcasts. Without you guys, we'd just be talking to ourselves. So we really appreciate that. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. Have a good night. Yeah, thank you, guys. You guys have a good night, too. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, you too, Jeff. Take care, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you bet. Thank you, guys.